I am Dan, and you are listening to the Late Night Fright on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. With me, as always, is my very awesome, my very lovely, my very talented, my very songbird co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. How are you doing? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm doing very well. You know, I got a new puppy. I saw. Yes. she. Her name is Lily. Beautiful. She is an 11-week-old boxer mix. We're not exactly sure what she's mixed with, <laughs> but uh, we'll take it because she's precious. And uh, my, my beautiful girl, Belle, we, we had to let her go on tax day. And Faith, it's like the man says, you know, there's two things that are always sure, death and taxes. And it's like I've always said, nothing good ever happens on tax day. So, uh, Belle, wherever you are, we love you. You're still our pretty girl, but we, uh, we, have, a new, we have a new girl at the home, at the house now, and she's precious. You got to see her. I did. I we, wanted to put her in my computer bag. Right. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to bring her in to do the show, but we, you know, it was, you know, puppy, she's, yeah. she's chewing some stuff she could get into here. So I'm also doing really well tonight. Do you want to know why I'm doing so well? Why is that? Because we're talking about one of my favorite movies of all time tonight. This is a top 10 movie for me. It would be up there for me too, pretty much. I think I it's think in. So. I think it's in a lot of people's top I think ten. So. Do you want to tell them what the movie is? It is the sixth sense. The sixth sense celebrating its twentieth anniversary this year. This is one of the all-time great ghost stories. Do you agree? I agree, absolutely. Everybody likes a good ghost story. Mm-hmm. You like a good ghost story? I do. This is a good ghost story. It try, is one of the best. Try saying that five times really fast. Nah. Good ghost story, good ghost story. <laughs> so, like I said, I, I love a good ghost story. I love real ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Do you like real ghost stories? I do. Do you have a good ghost story for me? I have so many ghost stories. Can you pick one? Oh, oh my goodness. I'll tell you what, I will, tell, I will tell mine. You go ahead. Let me think of one of the many I have. So back about 2001, I was staying at a friend's house. We were playing in a band together. This was a Saturday night. We had to wake up very early Sunday to hit the road to drive about five hours to play an afternoon gig. So we we got off of our Saturday night gig. We went to his house. We made a little something to eat. Uh, I was sleeping in a guest room. About 6 o'clock on Sunday morning, I heard children playing outside. I heard children's voices laughing and carrying on and got up to go see what what was going on because this house is in the middle of nowhere in this big field standing by itself and heard them, went out the door, popped my head around the corner, couldn't see anything. I went back to bed. I heard them again. They woke me up a little later. Didn't think too much of it. Tried not tried not to think too much of it. And when my friend woke up, I said, man, I heard these kids playing outside. And he said, yeah, that happens sometimes. Did you see them? And I said, no. He goes, yeah, I've seen them before. He says, you don't want to see them. So oh, apparently there was some supernatural activity going on out, out at that place. And it was one of those moments, you know, when something scares you right on the inside and mm-hmm. then all the hair stands up and... And it really got me, and I felt very uncomfortable being in that. That house had some creepy vibes to it. But uh, so that's my really good ghost story. That's 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 the one I got. Right, and I just want to add that the ghost had me outside in my underwear, <laughs> looking around the corner at six o'clock in the morning. And uh, like I said, it was so it was so in the middle. There was no way that anybody right. could have been it. You would have seen someone in the field or or right. trying to hide because it was open. There were no trees. It right. was and it was. That's very cool. There, it was very real. So, what do you have for me? Well, like I said, it's very hard for me to pick because I like to believe that almost every house I've lived in <laughs> might have been haunted. Every house I'm has a story to tell to you. I believe that it's me. You know, it might be. I think it's me. Um, I mean, I've been seeing things since I was three, so you know. But I'm gonna pick one that kind of crosses over with my sister because we have very similar experiences. So I am at one of the houses I, I lived in making a sandwich and something catches my eye and I look up 
and I see a girl mm-hmm. in a dress holding teddy bear. And we lock eyes. Could you see through her or was she solid? She was like solid. She was, it was solid. She was solid. Like, like young Cole sees in, she, in the sixth sense. The creepy part is that she looked just like me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think I look just like my mother. Mm-hmm. Part of me thought it was my mother. Mm-hmm. It was not my mother. Okay. Because my mom was in three rooms down and she was on the phone. She and never... not a little girl with a teddy bear. Right. But, you know, in that moment I'm thinking, okay, she looks like one of us, but it's not one of us. I let it go. Mm-hmm. About two weeks later, well, I didn't know this at the time. My sister apparently saw the same person in the same spot, mm. but she didn't tell me until probably like a few months. She didn't want to scare anybody. Mm-hmm. But when she went to look for the to see if it was me, I was sleeping, so it wasn't me. I've also in the same house have had pictures nail themselves up on the wall. Mm-hmm. I've had things fly across the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think something is just kind of maybe attached. Maybe it's you. I think it is. I think I might need a new co-host. <laughs> maybe so. Never. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty creepy. Hey, if you're out there listening, you know where to find us. We are on Instagram. We are online at www.latenightfright.com. If you have a good real ghost story, send it to us. We are listening. We would we'd love to hear them. We'll share some on the air. Can I add one thing about a Go ghost ahead. story? Look, I've had a history of so many ghosts that I've had the literal show Ghost Hunters want to actually come to my house. We don't want to put Dr. Egon Spanglish's PKE meter on you anytime soon, do we? Because no. you probably just light right up. But they like my stories. They were interested. You have good stories. I've heard I've had a, a, lot, a lot of them. Of them. <laughs> so like I said, if you're out there and you have ones, please. I would like it. to hear them. We'd, we would love to hear them. Would we would. Uh, we might read one on the air. I think we should do a whole ghost story uh episode we should yeah everybody just send in some ghost stories i know people have them right so uh i want to add this before we get into the show proper we have been trying to score a high profile guest for you out there Mm -hmm. and we got pretty close we should we tell them who it was we were going after we can we were we were trying to get huey lewis on the show and for no other reason than i absolutely love (laughs) huey lewis and the news, both all of them. Uh, it is one of the rocks upon which my musical and life church is built. I, I love she faith. Faith can tell you. I I'm, can back him up. I well, and it's a genuinely pure love of the band. Is it yeah, not? Yeah, I love them too. Though the, you play them all the time. They're fantastic. They're wonderful. So we've we've made reference to Huey on the show before. Some of the yes. commercials you may have heard like have a Huey reference. Some of them kind of hidden, but uh. There's some Huey Lewis Easter eggs in the show. And, and somebody actually told me, he's like, why do you mention Huey Lewis every episode? I don't even realize I do it. But, you know, he's not on the list where we're contractually obligated to mention Robert England, Shudder, and the Pfeiffer. And if you've been following the show, you know who they are. But, uh, and we've we've got that out the way now. Right. So we can move on with the episode. <laughs> but, uh, no, for no other reason than I, I absolutely love Huey Lewis. He seems like a really nice guy. And I thought it would be really cool to get him to get him on the show so we wrote him we wrote Huey Lewis we wrote him on the email on his website the email the email the electronic mail <laughs> yes and uh funny enough and this was a few weeks ago this was like in this was like a month February or so. March a few weeks ago it's like May May April it was <laughs> one of those times it was before tax day when my dog had to had to cross the rainbow bridge I know that <laughs> so um but uh I sent the I sent the email on a Sunday, not expecting anything. I mean, not expecting a thing. Tuesday, I got a response from Miss Nina Bombardier. That's her name, Nina Bombardier. She it sounds so interesting. Like it sounds like something from a movie. Sounds like something from a movie, right? <laughs> I love and it. she sent us an email, and it was a really nice email. And she said that uh, she's Huey's business manager, works there in the office, and she would run it by him. And it sounded like something he would be interested in doing. You know, I I just wanted him to send us a voicemail. That was really what I wanted. We just <laughs> plug it into the show like he tried to call us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't know if they thought maybe we wanted a whole interview, which that would have been great too. We would we would have done it anyway. Anything Huey wanted to do. But uh, I, I want to. I just want to say uh, anyway. We we got an email. This was a few weeks ago. I would say maybe a month ago that this this all went down. And we got an email from him a few days ago that uh, with his schedule right now, he's getting a new album together. He's also undergoing treatment for his. He's got some hearing problems that he's been dealing with, and 
uh, just with the schedule. He's not going to be able to do it right now, but they said they're going to keep our contact info and, and at a future date, he might actually possibly make an appearance on the show. I don't think it's going to happen, but let me tell you what's so impressive to me here is that they actually wrote back. You know, I really wish I would have been in the same spot with you when you opened the email to see your reaction. <laughs> I wasn't hurt. I, I wasn't hurt. Oh, no, not even that, but the fact that they're like, oh, well, he can't do it right now, but he might. That's, I mean, that's a pretty good, That's, that's it's, a pretty positive thing. And Huey seems like a really nice guy, and right. he's not someone who's had everything handed to him. He's, right. He's worked his way to where he is. And by the way, yeah, he uh, he's undergoing uh, hearing uh, treatments. We wish him a full recovery. We still absolutely love you, even though you're not on the show yet. I know you're going to be one day. Oh, he I, will be. I know he's going to be on this show one day. It's going to happen. It's going to be fabulous. But uh, no, seriously, from the bottom of my heart, and I hope I'm speaking here for my co-host, yes. thank you for just responding to absolutely. us. Absolutely. Because we've put some feelers out and haven't heard mm-hmm. from a few people but that that was class. That was a class act all the way, and that might even mean more to me right now than actually having him on the I'm show. If that say, makes he, they didn't say no, so if that makes any sense, that that yeah. that's the next best thing that they actually wrote back. Mm-hmm. You know, class act, Huey. Love you. Hope you make a full recovery. Faith, Absolutely. I am excited. Not only because we heard from Huey, but because of the sixth sense. We're talking about the sixth <laughs> sense tonight. But first, as always, it is time for. The Booger of the Week. And I want to make a quick introduction to this one. Six Sense is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. This is another movie celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. Do you know what movie that is? I don't know. What is it? Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, directed by Mr. George Lucas. I know this is not a popular opinion with a lot of people. I love this movie. I do, too. I adore I really this movie. Do too. <laughs> Our booger of the week is Mr. Ray Park as Darth Maul. Enjoy this a little bit. When we get back, we are going to be talking about the 1999 M. Night Shyamalan, Shyamalama Ding Dong. That's what we're going to call him from now on. We're not making fun of him. We're just making an Animal House reference. But when we get back, we're going to be talking about the 1999 Shyamalama Ding Dong ghost story, The Sixth Sense. I'm Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Butter of the week. Booger of the week. With his tattooed visage, devilish horns, black robes, and double-edged lightsaber, Sith apprentice Darth Maul revealed himself to the Jedi of that galaxy far, far away and to movie audiences around the world in the summer of 1999. Maul, the apprentice to Darth Sidious, the Dark Lord of the Sith who would eventually become Emperor of the Galactic Empire, is the physical antagonist of the Phantom Menace, a blunt instrument of the dark side tasked with apprehending Queen Amidala. Portrayed by Scottish martial artist and stuntman Ray Park, Maul was a central figure in the marketing of the Phantom Menace, and his duel with Jedi Knights Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi has become the stuff of legend. While the duel of the fates didn't end well for the Sith Apprentice, Park would go on to portray the Headless Horseman in Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, Toad in the original X-Men film, and would even reprise his role as Maul in 2018's Solo, A Star Wars Story but it is his original appearance in The Phantom Menace that puts him in the Villain Hall of Fame and makes him our Booger of the Week. La la, la la, la la, la la, la la, la la, la la. And welcome back to the Late Night Fright here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. Faith, what are we talking about tonight? 
we are talking about The Sixth Sense. Directed by M. Night Shyamalan. I think that's how you say his name. Shyamalama Ding Dong. That's right. And if you heard the previous segment, we are not making fun of him. No, not at all. We're making a reference to Animal House and maybe having a little fun with him because who doesn't love that song, Shyamalama Ding Dong? Right. That's a great song. Otis Day in the Nights. It's a classic. <laughs> Wait till Otis sees us. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, let's see. So this movie came out August 6, 1999. It was released by Hollywood Pictures, which is a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, written and directed by Mr. Shamalama Ding Dong. We love him. Produced by Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, and Barry Mendel. And I want to add at this juncture that some of these people are responsible for such movies as Raiders of the Lost Ark and some of the Star Wars films. There's there's a lot of talent working working there. A lot of a lot of good movies have come out of those names. It starred, go ahead, Faith, tell them who's the big star of the movie. I know you love him. Bruce Willis. Bruce one of my favorites. Willis, my hair idol in life. <laughs> Bruce made it okay to be what bald. Hair? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell the story about that when we when we get to Bruce Willis because <laughs> there actually is a story with it. Uh, Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, Tony Collette. You like Tony Collette, don't I you? do. Olivia Williams. I like her a whole lot. And former new kid on the block, maybe even current new kid on the block. I'm not sure if he's still in the band. Donnie Wahlberg. I don't know. I've, possibly. Possibly. I know he's married to Jenny McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. This movie made $293 million when it came out in 1999. You adjust that for inflation as $518 million. It is the biggest hit of Bruce Willis's career, and he has had some hits in his career. It is on the 2007 American Film Institute list. It is at number 89. It is number 44 on that same American Film Institute, 100 Years, 100 Quotes. Faith, you know what quote? made that list i see dead people it might be i think that's one that's the one number 44 as i said is also number 60 on the american film institute list 100 years 100 thrills it made bravo's 100 scariest movie moments do you know which moment from this movie made that list which one the misha barton scene when she shows up in his little tent with the oatmeal coming out of her mouth it was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay. Haley Joel Osment was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and one of the youngest people ever to be nominated for that. Tony Collette was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And Andrew Monshan was directed for Best Editing. And every single nomination that they earned was indeed well-earned, in my opinion. I agree. And let's get to it. Let's talk about a little bit about the history of this movie. That was an overview. Let's talk about the history of it. This movie, it really shows things work out as they should. Bruce Willis was filming a movie for Disney called The Broadway Brawler. Do you have any idea what The Broadway <laughs> Brawler was about? I have no idea. It was apparently a hockey comedy. And he got mad at the director and he shut it down. <laughs> Good. I'm he sorry. Li- the name of it alone is already like He what? literally shut down production on this movie. So he he yeah, he owed Disney two movies. He literally owed them some movies yeah. because he shut down the production. And because he had shut down the production and gotten paid for one movie, he only made half of his usual fee on the first movie that he owed him. That first movie was a six cents. So uh can you guess what the other movie he gave them was? What? Unbreakable. Oh, yeah. I think things worked out the way that they should. So that's how he ended up here. Now, M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong, this was his third film after a student film he made while he was at NYU called Praying with Anger. He also made a film called Wide Awake that came out in 1998 that starred Rosie O'Donnell. But in my research, it turns out that Wide Awake was filmed, I think, in 95. So it sat on the shelf for a little while. So nobody really knew who M. Night Shyamalan was before all of this. Uh, This movie was written with Bruce in mind. Again, the way that things work out. Uh, Script sold for $3 million on the day that it became available for sale. So this is where it gets really interesting here. The Disney executive that bought it, David Vogel, he was their president of production. He uh, did it without corporate approval and gave M. Knight, 
an agreement that he could direct it as well. Okay, so this guy that nobody's really familiar with, you just gave him $3 million for his script and told him he could direct it. Right. And you did it without asking your corporate over, or, uh, overlords. Over Disney doesn't like it when you talk bad about them. <laughs> See, they were sending the ray out, the overlord. So he did that without any approval from his bosses wow. at Disney. I did not know that. He was dismissed. Wow. He was dismissed. Wait, it gets better. Disney sold the production rights to Spyglass Entertainment. You saw their logo right at the mm-hmm. beginning. So they kept the distribution rights in 12.5% of the box office. They owned the entire thing and they got rid of it. Again, it's very interesting how things work out. Now, we talked about how much money this thing made, right? Mm -hmm. When the Entertainment Weekly Summer Movie Preview for 1999 came out, it wasn't even mentioned. Oh, wow. This movie was on no one's radar. It was kind of like, I remember like it was like, saw the preview back in, you know, when seeing a preview meant something, you couldn't just go on the internet. It was like, what is this movie? You know, where is this? coming from nobody knew about this movie and lo and behold there there it is and i think the world and i mean this sincerely i think the world is a better place for having this movie oh absolutely so that's backstory i just think that's really interesting though that that they fired the guy who bought the movie that went on to make make them all that money well didn't make them all it could have made them all that money you know the same thing happened with star wars there was an executive who got fired because the movie was so successful because he, they had option rights or something away. We'll talk about I that, like I heard about if, that. We, I don't know. if and when we uh, we get the Star Wars. So that's the history of the movie. It also had a pretty good cultural impact. Now, you're too young to remember when this came out, but when this movie was in the theaters, this was all anybody was talking about because of that ending. And I was lucky enough to see it open the night before anybody was talking about it and got to see that with a virgin audience. I said virgin. <laughs> on the radio and uh i don't know if the audience was made up of virgins but it was a virgin audience to this movie and uh so we got to, we got to see it there open at night and there was an audible gasp when the twist was mm-hmm. revealed um should we spoil everyone out there i'm pretty sure most people already know it's a 20 year old movie except for my sister okay well lauren close your ears uh bruce willis is dead in the movie i told her about in it. the movie not in real life he's still no, not lives. in real life no He's still with us. Um, so speaking of this movie and the twist, this is a movie of details for me. What do you think? Yeah. Movie details. And it really rewards repeat viewings. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I've I seen this movie plenty of times, and I'm still catching. It gets better. Yes, I'm still catching you see stuff. It. I think he really did a great job oh, on yeah. this. So let's get into it. And I uh, just made noise with my notes, and I like prepared some always. notes. I prepared some notes because I think this is a pretty important movie. Mm-hmm. And I want to do a good job with this one. Let's start, as we have with so many things here, what is this movie really about to you? What do you, what do you think are the themes at work here? I think we, you had mentioned it before, and I'm right on board with you about communication with this movie. This movie is really about oh, communication. Nice. When, uh, so I was 20 when this movie came out, and I was studying uh, screenwriting at the time. And really getting into film and older film and what films mean. And for the longest time, I thought that this movie, Communication, was was it. Mm-hmm. When I watched it again, getting ready to do the show, Perspective mm-hmm. is really, I think, even yeah. more of a driving force in this movie That's than it. Communication, which is right Definitely. there. And then also I think there's a really heavy theme of purpose yeah. of what you're supposed to do with your life. Yeah. And uh, M. Night, uh, he... He kind of goes there with Unbreakable as well, uh, but he really starts to explore that here in The Sixth Sense, and I think it's summed up really beautifully in the line, they only see what they want to see. Exactly. They only see what they want to exactly. see. So these wonderful themes, they play out with these two main characters. Dr. Malcolm Crow. Who plays Malcolm Crow? Mr. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Bruce Willis. You like Bruce Willis, don't you? I love Bruce Willis. I love Bruce Willis. I am old enough to remember uh, the time before there was Bruce Willis because I remember that being a young. Like a sad it world. was a sad time. It was wow. called 
1979 to 1985, because oh in 1985, we got introduced to Bruce Willis on the TV show Moonlighting, and my parents were nice enough to let me at least watch the show. I didn't understand what was going on, but I remember loving that guy that was on that show, and he had a real manic kind of comic Three Stooge energy to him on that show. He's a lot different in this movie, though, isn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, he's real subdued. And let me just tell you something. I, I said I was going to tell this story. I'm going to tell the story. Uh, I was about 20 years old when I started losing my hair and it hereditary heredity got me. It started to go. Bruce Willis was bald. He made it look cool. I shaved my head. End <laughs> of story. End. end of story. Uh, let Bruce Willis be your guide. If you're out there losing your hair, you're still a man, a manly man. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's talk about Bruce in this movie, his performance. And then we'll, we'll kind of get into some more Malcolm Crow stuff. What do, what do you think about him here? I think he's incredible. It might be one of my favorite roles that he plays, I think. I mean, it's really hard to pick because he's, he's great in everything. He's one of those guys that's great but in most everything. But you said he's, he's very subdued. He's so different than what you're used to seeing him in, like Die Hard or something like that. You know, it's it's total opposite. There's and always, it's so good. There's always kind of a manic energy mm-hmm. behind him at times and a comic energy. And Die Hard, I think, is kind of the definitive. Well, I feel like he's always very, like. Amped. Yes, there you go. It's very action-packed and very, like, on the go, like, moving, like, lots of stuff. Curly happening. from the Three Stooges. Yes. You know, he's got that. He's got he, he's got, he's got, got those great action stars in him, but then he's got, you know, um, Curly from the Three Stooges kind of kind of filtering through him. He can do action. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He's a wonderful actor. And, and, you know, in the 80s, there were the three big action stars going late 80s, early 90s, and it was Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Willis. And I love and adore all three of those men, and I maintain that Bruce Willis is the best actor mm-hmm. out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here he is very subdued, and I remember seeing an interview with him 20 or so years ago. It was after this movie had come out, and he was on Inside the Actor's Studio, and he was talking about how he likes to be still. He, he started trying to be still as a performer, and... It starts for me in this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he wasn't doing it in right. certain but parts of movies before. You really start to notice it here, and this is kind of the more... Well, 12 Monkeys he does it quite a bit, but there's something about what he's doing here right. that just is really kind of amazing. I think it's his best performance, and I, I'm a fan of Bruce Willis. I've been through that entire catalog. Celebrate majority of his catalog i mean the guy was in pulp fiction and die hard two of the most influential movies of all time i think his performance in this movie might be the best of his career i think so and i think the one that it fights with is unbreakable the one that he did right after this movie so whatever he was starting here i think really has served him well as he's gotten older and this is like i said he was 40 something here so this is kind of the debut of the more middle age mature guy but what what do you see in him when he's playing this guy this Malcolm Crow character what what do you see what what comes off the screen to you he's very um I don't know if warm is the right word or very comforting or he at least he wants to be right but he seems like he's very um I can't think of the right word I'm comparing him to something from Die Hard where he's, like you said, amped up. And this is right. more of a character. He's very that introvert. It's a very introverted yeah, character. Yeah. And the sadness just comes through in this yeah. guy. And he plays it without going to a place where it's kind of schlubby or melodramatic. Right, right. It's all very real. So let's talk about the character he's playing, Malcolm Crow. Malcolm Crow, uh, created by M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong. Mm-hmm. He is the protagonist of this film you are following this is his journey and let me talk about some of the associations here because M. Night is really sharp and I want to make that known right now how good I think M. Night Shyamalan really is as a writer and filmmaker Uh, the crow is associated with the dead it's in spirit symbology the crow ancient cultures saw it as a guide for human souls to the afterlife now let that sink in for a minute here what he's doing with the names here Mm Uh, modern thought sees it more as a bringer of a new phase or personal transformation. And Faith, what is Malcolm doing in this movie? Working with somebody that, well, transformation. Transformation. <laughs> both of them. Yeah, both of them. Both of them are yeah. transforming in this yeah. movie. So his perspective in the beginning of this movie, he sees himself as a figure, as a failure 
for not helping Vincent Gray. And he's on a redemptive arc. He sees his marriage falling apart. There's a lack of communication. I'm getting chills thinking about the movie right now. It's all about what he's seen. Mm -hmm. And what he's seen is not really how things are. And again, so we're talking about the themes and how they are shown through these characters. And Bruce Willis, he, he brings this guy to life. I know. With stillness, it's wonderful. And Bruce, as an actor, is really good with kids. He's great in this movie, the Disney movie, The Kid, he was mm-hmm. great in. Um, to me, he's, a, I'm going to make a musical analogy here. He's like a bass player. He holds <laughs> the music together. I'm a bass player, so of course I want Bruce Willis to be a bass player. Uh, you don't notice him as much as the other performances in this movie. I don't think it's the showy performance. No, but I think he stands out. He because he's Bruce Willis. Yeah, right. Because, But it's not the one. He wasn't nominated for an award for this movie. He should have been. He should have been. He, oh re- he should have won one for it. But you don't notice how good he is. He's holding the middle of this movie down. Now, if we equate it to a musical performance, he's the bass player. Uh, the guy that is soloing over this entire piece uh, was nine years old, I believe, when they filmed it. Nine or ten Eleven. Eleven, maybe when it came out, finally. I don't know. No, what... I read he was eleven, but he was playing a nine-year-old, I think. That's it. Okay, that's what it is. And you want to tell him his name? Haley Joel Osment. He plays Cole Sear. Now, we talked mm-hmm. about Malcolm Crow and the Crow, the associations of the Crow to mm-hmm. the dead. Cole Sear, what does that sound like to you, Faith? Seer. Soul Seer. I'm on to you, M. Knight. <laughs> I'm on to you. Let's, uh, so he plays Cole Sear. Let's do what we do with Bruce. Let's, let's talk a little bit about Haley Joel. Now, there's, up to this point, there's not a lot of Haley Joel. He was uh, in another great horror movie. He was in Forrest Gump, which <laughs> is a horror movie. It's terrifying. We still need to do an episode on Forrest Gump. I don't know if we should make it a horror. That, the... It's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. Um, what do you think about him? Uh, in this in this movie, I love the kid. I love him. <laughs> it's uh, uh, can I use can I use one of those big words? It's a preternatural performance. It's 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 a master it's a master class in acting from this little eleven year old who really tugs at you. It's, I know, and he's every bit the adult, mature adult that Bruce Willis is in this movie, and they are wonderful together. I couldn't picture anybody else playing either role together. So, do you want to tell our listeners what Cole, what Cole's problem is, what his secret is? That he sees dead people. Like, like in coffins or graves? No, like walking around in everyday life. Like regular people? Yeah, like regular people. Do they even know they're dead? They only see what they want to see. There you go. So, what is, uh, Faith, what is Cole's perspective um, at the beginning of this movie? Afraid. Why is he afraid? Because he's ashamed. I think that's what I kind of get from he, him. He is ashamed. I think he feels he, like nobody knows. He can't he, talk to anybody. He knows no one else right. goes through what he goes Almost through. Almost get like he's ashamed of his own self. Embarrassed, maybe. I I will go there with you. Uh, I think as it relates to the theme we were talking about of lack of communication he's not talking to these ghosts he's scared of them because he doesn't understand them. i put that in my notes i put fear the lack of communication and shame kind of with him you know there you go isn't it lovely it's beautiful isn't it lovely and his perspective changes throughout the movie Mm -hmm. because he talks to them because there's communication and then he starts to live his purpose which is helping them and that and they're not scary that's the thing that's what's brilliant they're scary before he talks to them to, to him and then to the audience. Well, I guess, you know, a lot of people are afraid of the unknown. That's what they are. And, him, you know? and why, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you be? I mean, it's right. a natural fear. Exactly. What, what do you think of these two guys? Um, and I'm going to call them guys because he's a guy. Yeah. Cole's, I think Cole Sear is maybe the most brave character I've ever seen in a film. When I was watching again, I was really touched by that character. What he, the bravery that he was right. showing, because he was showing bravery even in just talking to the Bruce Willis character, mm-hmm. which I think is a brilliant twist on this. Yeah. He was showing bravery at the beginning of the yeah, movie. And then trusting him, which mm-hmm. is kind of the whole macro microcosm of the movie. I think it I think it's a brilliant movie. 
I love the way that he tells his story. M. Night Shyamalan can tell a story. Absolutely. And these these wonderful. This is one of those movies that you're like, man, I wish I would have made this, you know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, God, it. So I. Good. I looked at it. I hadn't seen it in a while when we watched it for the show. Yeah, me neither. And I was blown away by it, me by too. how good it really, and I knew how deep it was and blown away. And we're going to get a little more into this um, when we get into the story, but 20 years on, I know what's happening in this movie. The goosebumps from Abe being legitimately kind of terrified at one or two parts. In tears, I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed to admit. It. I was, I wept during the oh, last thirty minutes I of this movie. I don't ever. I really don't ever cry. I don't think you've ever she even seen me cry. She does not cry during. She, she's not making that I'm up. I cry way more than than she does. I lost it at it, the end it, of Logan. It, I lost it at at other things. But Rocky, I mean, uh, Creed, Creed two. two I Creed, lost Creed and Creed two. <laughs> and Creed, yeah, both of them. Um, I was weeping. I I had to get a a Kleenex because I was crying so much. And it was one of those hard, you know, emotional cries where you get, where you get the bad stuff out, you know? And, and it's, and it's all because of the story in these two characters. Mm -hmm. So, um, perspective, that's what this movie's really about. If you change your perspective, you can change your life. Just like Cole does. Cole is able to change his perspective, open up to his mother, communicate, and life, I think, hopefully gets a little better for him after that. And God knows he deserves it. God knows he's earned it. Absolutely. He's earned it. And uh, so that's it. I want to make one final note about perspective, and that's how it relates to you, the viewer out there watching this movie, because once you know the twist to the film, it changes the entire way that you watch it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's lovely. And we're going to talk about that story when we get back. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. The Cozy Corner Community Playhouse proudly presents a production of Die Hard, starring Todd Wick as John McClane and Shasta Wick as Holly Gennaro McClane. Oh, baby, I got a six-month backlog of scumbags in New York City, and you just up and took the kids because, what, you got a new job? Well, if you would have come out to Los Angeles with me, we would be having this fight. Hey, you got a place I can put this bear? It's a big bear I bought it from my baby girl. Also starring Antoine Duplay as Hans Gruber. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Due to the Nakatomi Corporation's legacy of greed around the world, they're about to be taught a lesson in the real youth of shall be witnesses Gruber out Oh, you're a trash terrorist I hate you're a trash terrorist You better put some shoes on Relive all of the thrills and excitement of the greatest action movie ever made now on stage at the Cozy Corner Community Playhouse Also starring Bobby, host of Afterglow the show that comes on after the late night fright as Sergeant Al Powell. Yeah, so like, uh, what do I call you, cowboy? Because, I mean, I'm down here, I'm trying to eat this Twinkie. I mean, it's delicious. Yeah, call me Roy. Yeah, Roy. John Wayne and Grace Kelly do not get to walk off into the sunset, cowboy. Yeah, it was Gary Cooper, a-hole. Also starring Dan host of the Late Night Fright as Ellis, Holly Gennaro McLean's coke-snorting co-worker. What'd you tell him, Ellis? I told him we were old friends and, you know, that, you know, we met at the party and... Hey, Hans, Booby, this is... Hey, this is Radio Hans. Ow, damn it! I'm bleeding. Weren't those supposed to be blanks? Welcome to the party, pal! Yeah, like L.A.'s finest on it, so, you know, like, light them if you got them. Yeah, I, I prefer the vape. Hey, man, what's in these Twinkies? Yeah, uh, sugar-enriched flour, like, uh, partially hydrogenated, uh, vegetable oil, polysorbate 60, and, you know, yellow dye number five, just everything a grown boy needs. You'll be enraptured at Music Guy's rendition of Beethoven's Ode to Joy. La 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 la
also starring Greg Hufflepoint, better known as Lothar, as Richard Dick Thornburg. Uh, this could be the last Christmas that these kids have to talk to their parents. And don't call me Dick. With Faith, host of The Late Night Fright, as Lucy Gennaro McLean. Come home. I love my baby girl. With Dan's mom as FBI Special Agent Big Johnson. Who we? It's just like Saigon. And Dan's aunt as FBI Special Agent Little Johnson. I was in junior high, D-head. Also starring Bobby's good friend Robbie as Carl, Hans Gruber's right-hand man. I also wish for the release of the nine members of the Asian Dawn. Asian Dawn? Where'd you read about those guys? The time? With three-time intercoastal surf champion Moondog Riley as Deputy Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson. I've got a bunch of people covered in glass down here. I'm not the one that just got BF'd on national TV, Dwayne. Die Hard, a production of the Cozy Corner Community Playhouse. John! Holly! Twelve terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McClane. That's just the way he likes it. Die Hard, 40 stories of sheer adventure. yippee ki mf'er Die Hard, only at the Cozy Corner Community Playhouse. Die Hard! All right, boogers, welcome back to the Late Night Fright here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we are talking about the Academy Award-nominated 1999 film, The Sixth Sense, directed by Mr. M. Night Shyamalan. What do we call him, Faith? Shyamalama Ding Dong. Dong. We love him. We're not making mm-hmm. fun. Uh, starring Mr. Bruce Willis and Mr. Haley Joel Osment. Let's talk about Mr. Shyamalan. I think that's how you say it. I don't. I don't want to be. I, I think Night Shyamalan. 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 We're just gonna call him Knight from now on. That's like kind of a badass a nickname, right? Knight. Sure. You know, I am the Knight, like <laughs> Batman. I think that Mister Knight, that's his name, Mister Knight, knows how to tell a story. What do you? What do you think? Oh, I'm right there with you. And I wanted to mention this about him. This was there was a golden period for him. It was The Sixth Sense into Unbreakable in a movie. I know you love Signs. And then he did The Village, which some people see as the beginning of the downturn for him or the end of that period. Never seen it. People are mixed on The Village. And then from The Village, you go into a movie like The Happening, and he did The Last Airbender, and he really kind of hit a creative, I think for me, kind of drought. His movies weren't very interesting to me. I think he was kind of depending on that twist ending. This movie doesn't depend on the twist ending. Mm-hmm. The, the twist ending is a cherry on top, but mm-hmm. it makes sense in the in the realm of the story and, and what he's uh, the themes he's dealing with. But he's back, though, in a big way, I think, and it started for me with The Visit. That was a great little movie. Mm-hmm. We saw that together, and we're both very impressed. And I yes. went in with no expectations because he had kind of – I don't want to say he was a joke – but it was kind of like he just wasn't hitting on much. He started getting his groove back right there, I think, with The Visit. And then he came out with Split. And we haven't seen it yet, but we're going to be doing an episode on it on Glass. And I've heard very mixed things about it. A lot of people don't care for it. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll know. see. And uh, we might do all three of them. I do Unbreakable, Split. I'm going to say right now Glass. that we are. I'm going to say it, too, <laughs> at a later date. Start right now. <laughs> um <laughs> Bet you didn't know this was a forfer if you're listening out there. But uh, I think I think he's back. I think he's back creatively. I think he's back in a big way. But these move this movie here, I think, really, really is great. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the first scene. I like to talk about first scenes, don't I? And first images. And you do. what's the first image in this movie, Faith? A light bulb. A light bulb. And what does that light bulb say to you? I don't really know what it says to me. To me, it says enlightenment, <laughs> illumination, sure. uh, an idea. Yeah. Here's an idea, yeah. you know, the light bulb goes off. Uh, yes. Also, it ties into the end of the movie for me because Bruce vanishes yes. at the end in, in light. Mm-hmm. So we see light coming on. Uh, 
let's talk about the way that scene is put together because Olivia Williams comes down into the cellar and she's in the uh, wine cellar. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like we're watching her? Like we're a spirit watching yes. her behind that wine. Yeah, you feel like you're rack. creeping on her. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I'm creeping. I feel like it. I feel like I'm creeping on her. And then she gets that little bit of a shiver. And if you've seen the movie, it changes the way that you look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're seeing it for the first time, it's a nice little bit of atmosphere. It's still a nice little bit of atmosphere. Kind of a creepy, you know, kind of a creepy crawly right. moment. We don't know why she's shivering, but could it be a ghost? Possibly. Could it be a draft? Could Vincent Gray, who's in the house, have brought spirits with him? There's a neat thought, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yes. Um, so let's talk about the first half of this movie. We meet Dr. Malcolm Crow. We meet Cole Sear. Cole has a problem, doesn't he? Yes. And for that first half of the movie, Faith, do we know what his problem is? Isn't that interesting? If you're going into this movie cold, you don't know what's happening to him. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know what was what was the problem, what would you think it was? I just thought he had some type of maybe severe anxiety or didn't the dad leave or... I, I would be like Bruce Willis. I would, th- again, because you're seeing this through his eyes, right? right? I would think that there was some kind of anxiety brought on by abuse, right. by trauma. Yes. PTSD of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know what's going on. Now, what happens at the halfway point in this movie? Tell us. It's almost exactly at the halfway point. It was number 44 on the American Film Institute list of top quotes. What happens the halfway? I see dead I people. I see dead people. <laughs> we find out, and Dr. Malcolm Crowe finds uh-huh. out, and that colors the rest of the movie. And then the second half of this film is really, would you say it's about Cole? learning to accept his gift and yes. use these powers for good. Yes. And it's amazing the way that he manipulates these themes through the use of, of the story. There's twists along the way. There's a twist in this movie. We've said it already. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that scene because it, it ties into the number 44 on the American Film Institute list of greatest quotes. What is Bruce Willis doing for Cole Sear in that scene? What Do you remember when he's in the hospital bed? What's... What is he? What does Cole ask for? I don't remember. A bedtime story. That's it. Does That's he it. ask or does Bruce just... Bruce might just offer one. And he tells one about a prince in a car and they're driving and they're driving and they're driving. Yes, and they're driving. And then Cole says, there needs to be twists and turns. That's him Knight talking to the audience mm-hmm, right there. Exactly. There needs to be twists and turns. Yep. There needs exactly. to be twists and turns. But something else happens in that scene too that's really deep. What else does Cole want? We talked about this the other night when we were texting. Cole wants a story, but he doesn't want a story about a prince or a fairy tale. What what remember. story does he ask for specifically from from Dr. Malcolm Crow? My mind's blank. Because he sees it in his eyes. My mind's blank. He asks for the story about why he's so sad. That's right. And that to me right. ties in with what this movie is also really about, ultimately really about. We need to connect to people. Mm-hmm. We need to communicate with people. We need to be understood. We need to be. We need to understand and under and be understood. Exactly. And this is maybe my favorite scene in the movie for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Because now you want to tell them what you noticed uh, that Frank Marshall, the producer, said he thought they were tipping their hand in this particular scene at the halfway point with the I see dead people. And you said this the other night. Yeah, that, I read that they did that close up of Bruce, and that at that moment you were supposed to know. That, what did Cole say? I see dead people. Right, and he said. And he says. But he what, said like, some people don't know that they're dead. Some people don't know they're. And then they do they a walk up. around like normal people. And he says, and he said, well, do they know they're dead? And he said, some people don't. And they do a close up of Bruce, and, and that was supposed to be the moment where you're like, ooh. He's a ghost. They thought they were tipping their hand there, and I'm going to give them a pass on it. And let me tell you why, because. I don't think they were tipping their hand, especially the first time you see it, because it's his reaction to what he just heard. Right. And it's kind of a fantastical reaction, and maybe this kid should be committed. Right. And he doesn't believe him. Right. That's that's part of it. I So I don't see it. I see it that second time around I, where you go, I, oh. I read it before I saw it watching for this. So I was like, okay, maybe I can see what they were going for now that I read it. But I never noticed it the first time. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Open the night because you're so invested. You know, the first time I saw it, we were so invested in what was going on and with this fragile, frail kid. Mm-hmm. And we wanted him to be safe and okay. And I saw it as the reaction of Bruce Willis 
character to, and you can see everything in his face. He mm-hmm. doesn't move in that scene, mm-hmm. yet he's giving away about eighty different emotions. It's he's a good actor, mm-hmm. and that's that's his best performance, I think, in the movie, is that scene right there because he doesn't tip it. It doesn't tip. I. I don't, you know, anybody who says that, oh, I saw it beforehand, you know, you heard there was a twist and you were looking for it. If you went, if you go into it cold, it's amazing. It's brilliant. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. So as we said, there is a twist. We just talked about the twist. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's fun. It's a great twist. It's maybe the greatest twist in movie history. Uh, but this movie doesn't hinge on that. Mm-mm. So let's uh, let's shift gears a little. Let's talk about the two ladies in this movie. Do you want to oh. tell our listeners who they are? The first one is Tony Collette, and Olivia Williams is the other one. Right, and Tony Collette plays Lynn Sear, who mm-hmm. is Cole Sear's mom. She was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie. What did you think of her in this movie? I know you like her as an actress. Mm-hmm. I like her a lot too. She's she's an odd bird. I like she I like is. her. Um, what do you think of her in this movie? I actually really enjoyed her in this movie a lot. I don't know why. I think she was very um, grounded to her character or something. You know, she was. Real. Yeah. That's she, it. Was real. she was real. Because when you're not seeing Cole in that first half through Bruce Willis's eyes, you're seeing him through her mm-hmm. eyes. And, uh, you know, I don't mean any disrespect by this, but he's kind of a freak. Yeah. You know, I, I don't like calling him that, but he's kind of a freak. Yeah. There's freakish things that happen around him. Something's off with him. And she is a really tough lady. I love that about her. She's very exactly. tough. And when she says, I'm tired in that movie, it carries some weight. And you know that she is at her wits end. There's a wonderful quality to her in this movie. And uh, this is kind of skipping ahead, but it's really earned when he tells her what he is and what he can do. And she starts crying. Mm -hmm. And that starts coming out. That's what hit me. It's earned. (laughs) It's earned. And you know how tough that woman is. And she has an answer now. And she believes him. That's the thing. She she's great. She's she it was a well deserved Oscar I nomination. It. Uh, it's a really good role. Now the other character here, Olivia Williams, she plays um, Anna Crow, Malcolm's wife, is not as showy as the other ones. Kind of like the Bruce Willis roles, not as showy. What do you think of Olivia Williams? I think in she, this? I think she was pretty good in it. Uh, in the moments that you see her in, I think she did a, a really good job. In she it. grounds mm-hmm. she grounds the movie with this. She grounds the movie sadness because if her performance doesn't work. A, you don't realize that he's dead. Exactly. And you don't know why he's so sad. How much do you hate her when she says happy anniversary? How much, uh, for lack of a better word, I'm going there. If you don't know what's going on, how much of a bitch do you think she is? 100%. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> awful. You think she's an awful person, and it ties into that perspective deal that we were yeah. talking about. You think she's cheating on him. Exactly. You think all of these. Uh, he just wants to talk to her. and Right. She's not, you know, responding at all. She's not responding. It's like, right. you know, what's the deal? Right. Uh, I think the whole cast is wonderful. I think everybody in this is great. So let's uh, let's go back to Knight for a minute here in the okay. in the story. What I like about the story is he never goes for any kind of explanations. You you just take what he's giving you on face value. Do you do you agree with that assessment? I agree one hundred percent. And you don't even sit around thinking about that. I don't watch this movie wondering why Cole is the way that he is. Me neither. I don't watch it going, what does he do after the movie is over? Now, I wonder what he does after the movie is over. I'd like to see what he's doing now. but And he doesn't ask any questions about the afterlife either. I don't want the – a movie can't answer those questions because nobody knows. But he doesn't give explanations, which I think works for this movie. Exactly. Like you, don't, you don't sit there longing for those answers. Right. He tells the story of people who need to talk to each other, and bigger than that – he makes us feel what Malcolm is feeling as the story progresses. That's great storytelling between him and Bruce Willis, that they are able. I feel what Bruce is feeling in this Me movie. Me too. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, also then, as we said before, the theme, we need to connect. If we don't connect with people, what ends up, what happens to us? He tells us in this movie what happens to us. I don't remember what he said. We end up like Vincent Gray or we end up like yeah. Kira's mom. We end up. Real freaks, yeah. real monsters that can't connect, that take our own lives or take someone else's life. It's a simple message. That's a that's a very spiritual, religious message that we still haven't gotten after all these years, that we just need to connect and talk to people. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, one final point I want to make is this is a movie without a physical antagonist. There's no real villain in this movie. Mm-hmm. But there is a monster, there's a booger, and she's dressed in red. And how awful do you think that Kira's mom is? 
Oh my god. Because all of the dead spirits, they aren't monsters like that lady that's, that's among the living. She's terrible. She is absolutely terrible. awful. And before we take a break, we, we I don't have any notes about him, but I, I want to talk about him real quick. Let's talk about Vincent Gray and the, uh, the sympathy. Do you feel sympathy for Vincent Gray when he shows up in Malcolm's house? Because I feel I absolutely a lot do. of sympathy for him and how important he is as a character. Because if he's not there, we don't see what Cole's going to turn into. Right. Because we have to communicate with each other. We have to communicate. It's a brilliant movie. It's brilliant. I love it. If you haven't seen it in a while, watch it. If you've seen it recently, watch it I again. Like I want to watch it again. I want to watch it. I watched it three times getting ready for the show. It's an absolutely beautifully brilliant movie that is does not hit you upside the head with anything. Mm-mm. It just tells a wonderful story. And um, that's all I've got for this section. What about you? That's anything it. you want to add? Just if you haven't seen it or seen it in a while, you have to you have to watch it. We're going to take a very short break, but when we get back, we're going to wrap this up. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Welcome back, boogers, to Late Night Fright here on WKMF, Cozy Corner of Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we have been talking about the 1999 M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Sixth Sense, starring Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment. And I think we've had a pretty good show. I think so, too. You know, usually here on the Late Night Fright, uh, to break the fourth wall a little, we do some funny stuff. We have some characters. We have some nonsense and tomfoolery. We didn't do that tonight because... This is a really great movie, and I just really wanted to keep it on the movie tonight. I I love this movie. Me too. I know you do too. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are going to be back to our regularly scheduled tomfoolery <laughs> that we do here <laughs> with some of the characters that some of you out there love. Some of you might not love them. I don't know, but we're going to keep doing them. Damn it! And we hope you uh, we hope you enjoyed our basic instinct commentary starring Todd and Shasta Wick. Uh, they're not characters. They're real. They actually came in here and did that with us. Mm-hmm. I stand by that. So Sixth Sense, 1999. Let's wrap it up, Faith. You know, usually we do the favorites here. So I don't have a favorites question, line of questions per se. So let's um, let's see what we can do here. Let's ask some questions first. Do you think this twist works in this movie? I think so, personally. Um, I like twists in movies, so I think it was, you know, a really good one. <laughs> is it still shocking to you? Yes. Shocking to yeah, me. The more you watch it, it's like, okay, wow, that was written. It could have been written so weird. Like they played it cur- right it down the middle. Perfectly how it was written. It's, yeah. It's brilliant. And as we talked about with perspective, night makes you think that he's in the world of the living. Mm-hmm. Everything tells you that he's in the world of the living and he's not in how that just works. It's brilliant. <laughs> so the twist works, uh, as I said earlier, that the movie, but the movie doesn't hinge on that because it relates to the theme. It's not like, right. oh, and hey, Bruce Willis was dead. Because if they wanted to do that, he could have turned around at the end and you would have seen where he was shot mm-hmm. and cut to black. That doesn't work. That's that's false. 
what works is him talking to the wife because that's what this movie is about and him ascending then uh i love it i got chills thinking about it because it's it's beautiful let's talk about the score by mr james newton howard who was married at one time to rosanna arquette and if you listen to our commentary on nightmare on elm street three we talked about rosanna arquette and her sister patricia quite a bit our good friend bobby host of afterglow uh enlighten us to that um he was married to Rosanna Arquette, neither here nor there. Let's talk about his score. I think it uh, sets a mood and a tone for this mm-hmm. film, and the film is 100% better with it. I 100% agree. Doesn't it chill you to the bone? Yes. <laughs> it's absolutely chilling. Uh, details in the movie. Any details that you notice that you want to that you want to share and talk about? I think you had mentioned about colors. You want to go into color colors. red? Yes. I noticed more than one. I noticed more than just that color. The red. muted colors in the movie too. There was right? lots of like yellow and gold. Like, like the couches and stuff were like right. gold color. I mean, it might have nothing to do with anything. Right. But do you have any idea why that is? I don't know. I don't, I don't have an answer for it. I'm just... I was just... thinking maybe that was some type of like, supposed to be some type of little... Everything was very muted though. Yeah. It, it reminded me of the 70s in a lot of ways. There was the light gray and the blue, or light blue. Yes. I noticed he, they say he uh, read he was dressed in variations of stuff he was killed in. So he'd wear different outfits. I think it was everything he touched that night, like the sweatshirt was there, the the coat and the jacket, the suit. Yeah. Yeah. Does does it change ever? Different stuff? No. No. They they, they, uh, manipulated enough to where you think he's wearing different clothes because he'll have the jacket on without the vest or he'll have the vest on without the... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the rowing sweatshirt. So you don't realize it. And then there's a scene where he's holding his wound when he gets mad and breaks that window. But you think like, oh, he's got some soreness from from getting shot or, you know, in that spot. So (laughs) I think they did a great job with the details on this. Uh, Do you have any other details? Just just the way that it plays out with him, you know, the twist. Mm -hmm. I think it really, really works. Everything that they do, setting it up, making it look like he's part of the living. Right. So. All right. Favorites. Let's go. uh, I'm going to throw this one out. Do you have a list by any chance? Let me see. Because I, I have one. If I have a, an idea. What do you have? Uh, favorite scene. Ooh, that's hard. I like I like that when he, I don't know, see, I like when he tells Malcolm he can see dead people. But I really like when there's the car crash and he tells his mom. I like, uh, my favorite scene is the one right before that, when he and Bruce Willis have their last scene together. That's one of them, too. And, see, I can't pick. And then when you read it as, you know, I'm not going to see you tomorrow, I'm not going to see this ghost, you know, I'm going to see you again. It's great on that second viewing and third and fourth and 18th, yeah. 19th, 20th. Uh, I like that scene a lot. I like a lot of scenes in this movie, but that's, I like the way Bruce plays uh, telling the wife, you know, when he realizes that he's dead. It's hard to pick a scene. It's really, that whole third act is really, is just really, really, really yeah. well done. Uh, let's, let's Do you go. have a favorite quote? Favorite quote? I like when Bruce says cheese dick. <laughs> Me too. That's what I put. Did you, did you really? Keep moving cheese dick. Keep, exactly keep moving cheese dick. Yeah. Also like when Cole said, don't fail me. Don't fail me. I there don't want to be scared anymore. There about that. Yeah. Like, whoa. Some kinds of magic are real. And there's also. A, there's a lot of good quotes. I have, my, I have an actual notebook here that I'm not going to probably get you know i don't know where it all is but i kept writing stuff down yeah they kept great. saying i was like oh my goodness this tommy tomasimo is... sucked big time though <laughs> he's the real villain of this piece tommy tomasimo <laughs> mommy my throat hurts he's awful he's an awful little bastard <laughs> do you have any other favorites terrible let's see favorite ghost you got one i like the one in the kitchen Suicide Lady yes. scares the hell out of me. She's she did the, the first time I saw it. She still does. She kept me up the first night I watched it. <laughs> I still get chills when I see her because you think it's the mom. Mm-hmm. And she turns around and she does it. She's just absolutely crazy bonkers. Mm-hmm. You know, no, your dinner's not ready. And, it's, and he hangs on her, too. He keeps that camera on her. And I got chills. You can see him. I, I, got, I got chills thinking about her. Uh, the little boy with his head blown out. Yes. Uh, uh, amazing the way he films all this and then inserts them into the, the way he frames things. And that lady walking across the screen when he's in the bathroom terrifies yes. me. It's it's terrifying, the whole thing. Uh, Misha Barton, the first time she shows up, you know, with the vomit coming out of her mouth. is Even her under the uh, the bed pushing the, uh, the, the box with the tape, she's terrifying. You see, I think, looking. too, when, when you think this is a ghost movie, there aren't that many ghosts. What you right. don't need that many ghosts in here because they all play a good. You know what I mean? They're 
you don't they don't overdo it with ghosts and you don't they need don't. it to. They don't and there's not a lot of violence in this movie right. either if you if you notice. The most violent thing happens in the first ten minutes mm-hmm. of the movie and it's yeah. pretty hardcore. I know. And and there's not and you know, it colors the rest of the movie, but and plus the fact that the ghosts look real, I think, really adds to the to right. the creep it's factor not a cheesy of them. Ghost movie, yeah. you know. I was thinking, you know, I've seen this movie at least twenty times, twenty or thirty times, and I was watching it for the show, and I was still getting creeped out, even though I knew it was coming, even though I knew it was uh-huh. coming, and still getting the goosebumps. So, Me too. Uh, those were my favorite uh, favorite ghosts. Really, I mean, this whole movie is just a really so good. wonderful <laughs> masterpiece. Um, Let's and as you said earlier, it made it made you cry. It did. It made me cry. I've seen it. I knew it was coming. It uh, made me, me cry. Too. It hits you on a really, really real, deep, mo- like real, real deep level. level. Yeah, it's real. It, it, it's, That's the thing. Yeah, and it's not even like oh, you know, it's about ghosts. No, it's everything else that they're pulling out of this movie. That's the so ghosts are, are, are second. It they're doesn't extra. matter that Mm-mm. it's a ghost story. No, that makes it fun. The twist. If you tell people you cry at this, they're like, oh, why are you crying at a ghost movie? Because it's not really a ghost movie. It's not a ghost movie. movie. <laughs> it's a movie about fathers and sons and, and redemption yeah. and life. It's about life. Yeah, exactly. And talk to the people around you that matter mm-hmm. to you. Tell them how you feel about them while yep. you can. Seriously, do that while you can. <gasps> this is a great movie. It is available on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available. You should own a copy of this. If you don't, go get one. It's <laughs> it's great. So, Faith, I in, really enjoy The Sixth Sense. I don't know if you can tell. I can tell, and I agree I think this Completely. is the best movie that we've done. I think so, too. I really do. It's going to be hard to top this one, but we're going to try to. So we don't know what the next movie is. Uh, we're going to figure something out. And when we do, we're going to post it and hope we're that you... We're not going to tell anybody. Hope that you enjoy it. Yeah. But we're, we're, we're going to keep a lid I on it. So we keep it a we secret. Ho- we hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please tune in for TV Tuesday, our newest feature. And we're going to have some other fun stuff going on. Seriously, uh, we're going to be back to the tomfoolery and the ridiculousness. I just... I really like this movie and I really wanted to talk about it in, in a serious quote unquote manner. Right. So, um, Faith, anything else? I think that's it. That's all I got. So I think we're going to get to sign off. Uh, finally. We're going to do you it know, again. Finally. We rarely ever get to. We rarely ever get to. <laughs> so I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we want you to keep, keep your, your monster, monster on, on a leash. leash. See you on the other side. We're going to need some more FBI guys.